Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Amen. All right, well, let's get into the Word. Have you got Bibles this morning? We're going uh, into Luke chapter 20, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 24. Um, And if you've just joined us, we are doing a series at the moment called End Time Conversations. And we've been looking at some very interesting topics about the end times, that the Bible talks about time not being the circular thing, but a linear thing. There was a beginning. How many of you know? God said, in the beginning, and He created everything. There's also going to be, the Bible talks about, an end. That there will be a moment when God is going to wrap up the story of earth. He's going to wrap up the story of humanity. He didn't start humanity with this like, hey, let's just see what happens. He knew he had an end goal in mind, and that's why he started in the beginning. And everything that he's been doing has been working up towards that. One thing we know about our God is that he's a God of purpose, a God of destiny. He doesn't just do anything and je, like let's see, what are they gonna do these here? No, he's planned everything out, or times, seasons, specific modes. When we see Jesus arriving, what we notice is that he came at the appointed time. Jesus was right on time, at the perfect moment in history to do what God had called him to do. He lived a life of purpose. When he hung on the cross, he said it is finished. The work that I came to do is done. This is our God. He finishes things. And it's very important that we know that the Bible says a lot, more than anything else, right, about the end times. There is so much scripture and prophecy and, uh, and verses from Jesus and the apostles and even the prophets before Jesus about the end times. So much written about it. And the question is, well, what do those end times look like? And what are the chances that we could possibly be that end time generation? What if, we, what if Jesus is coming back tomorrow? What if he's coming back in five years, 10 years from now? Hey, tw- I know all the singers are like, Jesus, I just want to get married. <laughs> Hold out, just a little bit longer. <laughs> When we, when we look at some of these scriptures, and when we look at what's happening in the world right now, there is no doubt that we are seeing the last of the last days unfolding in front of our eyes. And hence, we've been talking about these things, because it's so important that we understand that we are an end-time generation. And there are specific commands to that end-time generation. We have a job to do. We have a role to play, and we have to be very aware of what's going on around us. And so that's the heart behind the series. This is what we've been going after. I mean, just to give you an idea, we've been talking about uh, artificial intelligence, the rise of AI. We've been talking about transhumanism last week. Um, On the very Sunday that I preached about artificial intelligence, the rise of AI and back to Babel and all of that, Fortune magazine, published an article uh, on the very day that I was preaching about it, and the article was AI, a new superhuman, and the fourth industrial revolution is just the latest revival of Friedrich Nietzsche's Superman or Ubermensch concept. All right, that came out actually on the day. So this is, you know, I'm not like preaching weird stuff. This is the language of the world we're living in right now. 
Friedrich Nietzsche, for those of you who don't know, is an atheistic German philosopher who's famous for coining the phrase, God is dead. And he was talking about how religion once governed mankind, but now mankind is governing itself. And he proposed that eventually mankind would transcend himself, that we would create a superhuman on the earth, transhumanism. So he's one of the founders of the transhumanist movement, one of the philosophers that almost you know, spoke into the culture of the time, and now it's progressed to the point where technology has met the ideas that he spoke about, and we're actually starting to see the unfolding of it in front of our eyes. So it's very important that we, we know that like, what we're speaking about here is current. This is real time. I mean, here's, here's another interesting thing that happened. This year, they opened in Abu Dhabi a, um, what they called the Abrahamic family or the headquarters of a one world religion. And in, it's open, it's there now, it's in Abu Dhabi, and there's a, there's a mosque, there's a synagogue, and there is a church that's there. And it's a collaboration between the Pope and, and uh, other religious leaders to create this headquarters for global religion. It's quite interesting because Abu Dhabi, I mean, it's like, it's a bit paradoxical because Abu Dhabi, it's illegal to be a Christian, to become a Christian. It's illegal. You can't, uh, you're not allowed to proselytize as a Christian. You can be there, but you can't proselytize. You can't make Muslims Christians in that nation. You can't even put, if you look at the church there, it doesn't have a cross on it. You can't put crosses on the outside of buildings in Abu Dhabi. It's illegal. So it's like you can come here and we can have a global religion, but just anything regarding the cross or Jesus or actually teaching that Jesus is the only way is not really allowed. Can we see that this is like an end times strategy to weaken the gospel, to put like Christianity on the same shelf as every other religion and say, guys, there are many truths. Choose your truth. Your one, any, anyone will do whatever works for you. Isn't that the world we live in right now? It's a strategy to weaken this because what? Jesus said there's no way that anyone can come to the Father except through him. There's no way that your sin can be forgiven apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's a strategy to remove that from the church, to weaken the church and make it just like everything else. We need to know that. We need to be aware of that. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to go to um, Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew chapter 24, this is a famous discourse where Jesus is preaching about the end times. He preaches about the end of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70, but he also preaches beyond that. He looks at the end of the age and talks about his return and the, the signs of the times about his return. I'd love to read the whole chapter. It's a famous discourse. You probably know there were some of the words he says there. In the end times, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and pestilences. There will be persecution and false prophets and all these things all about. But there's one particular phrase that he mentions there that I want us just to, I want us just to zoom in on this morning. And then what I want us to do is I want us to unpack it, understand the meaning of it, and then look at the culture around us and ask ourselves the very important question, are we seeing what Jesus said unfolding in front of our eyes right now? Okay, because that's important. It's, a, it's an indicator of the end times. And so I want us to go to Luke chapter 24, Matthew, sorry, chapter 20. I keep saying Luke. Why, why am I in Luke? Anyway, Matthew chapter 24. Can we just stand to our feet before we read the word? Is that all right? So remember, we're just zeroing in on just these verses. Can you pray after me this morning? 
Father in heaven, I commit this time to you. I believe that your plans for me are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. I treasure your word more than my daily bread. And I boldly confess that my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I say, speak, Lord. Kuluma and Korsi, for your servant is listening. Amen. All right, you're welcome to take your seats. Um, and we're going to read from verse 11. It says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's the verse I want us to focus on. But then it goes on and says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Can you see that there's, there's an endurance to our faith? You need endurance, especially if you're living in the end times. Jesus is telling you that you have to have endurance if you want to make it to the end. In other words, that says to me that it's not just a given I'm going to make it to the end and finish strong. It's going to require something from me. I need to have endurance. All right? Can you say endurance? endurance. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end, can you say the end, will come. Next week, all right, just preview, we're going to talk about that. All right, so in this, I want to unpack verse 12 today, but, but verse 14 is for next week. We're going to talk about the sign of the end times is the gospel going to the ends of the earth and then the end will come, all right? And, I, and we're going to just unpack that together as a congregation. And I think it'll be very necessary because it's, it's, it's really about what Jesus wants to do in and through us as Every Nation Durban. I, I believe he wants to use this church, us, as a sending church. And that we're going to go to nations as a church. And we're going we're gonna to be part of that, taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. So we'll talk about that next week. But let's, let's focus on verse 12. And it says, and because lawlessness, can we read it together? And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. What is this lawlessness that Jesus is talking about? Well, you know, you've got to use the Bible to interpret the Bible here. And when Jesus is talking about lawlessness here, he's not talking about like uh, the breaking of civil uh, governance in a society where people are breaking civil laws and uh, exceeding the speed limit and parking where they shouldn't park and you know civil disobedience lawlessness it's just lawless changing lanes without putting flickers on I'm having a dig at the drivers who do that actually it's me I confess <laughs> I'm the worst <laughs> the chief of sinners on the road anyway but he's not talking about that lawlessness he's talking about the law of God and in this context, what he's saying is that the lawlessness is actually wickedness or evil increasing in the earth. So the breaking of God's commands will abound. And that word abound in the Greek is actually be multiplied exponentially. 
In other words, what we will see in the last days, before, before the end, is that we will see evil or wickedness, the breaking of God's laws, multiplied exceptionally. And, uh, and, and almost the indication is that it will abound, is that it will be everywhere. That it will just be common that God's laws are just broken in every nation around. And there will just be this increase, this exponential increase of it taking place. And so the question is, well, is that what we're seeing in, in the world? So what we notice, there are other scriptures about uh, the end times that enforce this idea of evil getting worse and worse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you don't have to go there. I'll just got it for you this morning. Verse 13, it says, this is Paul writing. And, and 2 Timothy chapter 3 is an incredible end time scripture, guys. I mean, when you go read it, it's like, it's literally describing the, our culture and our society around us. And there's this one phrase in verse 13 where Paul says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and and worse. That doesn't sound like good news, amen? And so the indication about the end times is that there's going to be a worseness and a worseness to evil and imposters and evil men growing. Jesus said it will be like the days of Noah when he returns. What were the days of Noah like? In Genesis 6, 5, it tells us that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. There's this word evil again, all right? And so what we notice is that Evil, if left unchecked, undisciplined, it will prosper. It will grow. It will get worse and worse. How many of you know that in order for evil to prosper, good men must just do nothing? If we just want to see society fall apart and get worse and worse, do nothing. Don't speak up. Don't say anything. Don't preach the gospel. Don't intervene in any way. It will just mature and get worse and worse. We see an example of this in the scriptures in 1 Kings chapter 16, where it talks about these two kings. Firstly, King Omri. And uh, in verse 25, it says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. Aish, bad guy. All right, bad, bad guy. But then he has a son called Ahab. And it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. <laughs> so it's like father like son. So there's this, this exponential evil. I want you to notice that evil grows if left unchecked. James chapter 1 talks about this. He says, when your desires give birth, to, they give birth to sin. And when sin, fully is grown, when sin is fully grown, it results in death. So there's this idea that if we leave sin unchecked in our lives, it has a, it has a growing nature. It grows. Unless we pull that thing out by the roots, unless we chop it off and deal with it, it will always be looking to take more of our lives more of your mind, more of your thoughts, more of your affection, more of your money, more of you. It wants, it will, it, like it doesn't have an end to it. It's insatiable desire for more. And what we notice is if you take the last 70 years of history and you have to, and you have to ask yourself the question is, have we seen an exponential increase in evil, the breaking of God's commands? 
Well, I mean, if you go back to the 1960s, 1950s, what you'll notice is the sexual revolution taking place where we took sex outside of marriage. And then soon afterwards, we see homosexuality being um, unbanned in society. And then soon after that, we see the definition of marriage is now changed, where it's not just between a man and a woman, it can be between anybody. Then after that, we see abortion being allowed. Why? Well, because if you're going to live a life of immorality, then we need to have abortion. We need to sacrifice children, our babies, the offspring of our bodies. Why? Because we're worshiping immorality and convenience as a culture. So we need this abortion law. So we see abortion coming in, and this is literally the offering of our children up to these idols. And then we see, soon after that, we see the definition now being changed, the definition of what a man is being changed, the definition of what a woman is being changed, and soon to follow is the definition of what it actually means to be human, which is, is now following as well. Can you see that just in the last 70 years, there's been this progressive Na nature to, to sin unfolding. Now, why is this? Why, why does God just allow that? Why is God allowing this wickedness just to unfold? I want to bring your attention to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, which says the following. The Lord is not slow about His promise. This is talking about Him returning as some counselor us, but He is patient. Can you say patient? God is patient with you. He's patient with us. Not willing that any would perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we, we must understand we're living in a time of grace where God has said, you know what? I've put every provision for mankind in the cross. I've, I've achieved everything. The destruction of sin, the forgiveness of sins, everything, the power is there to save humanity. And now I'm going to give humanity a chance to receive that grace. And unfortunately, what that means is that he also allows wickedness in the earth. We must remember that Christ died for the wicked. Can somebody say amen? amen. How many of you were pretty wicked before you met Jesus? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm right up there. He died for me. I was part of the wicked. You see, he's, he's patient, not willing that any would, would perish. So his desire is that actually in the world today, the gospel would go out and redeem humanity, and, and we will see the wicked turning from their sin and coming to everlasting life. And so he's allowing this period where the, the righteous will grow and the wicked will grow as well. It's a period of grace. But it is a time when he will come and harvest what is his and sift out the chaff, which he talks about in the parables. So we must understand that Jesus died for the wicked, amen? And we are the chief of them, amen? So what, is, what, is, what does it mean when Jesus talks about evil? Like what, what is the evil, what is this lawlessness that is going to abound in the last days? Well. If you use the Bible to interpret the Bible, the word evil in Israel's history is always used when Israel turned from God and served idols. Whenever they, they turned away from the law of God and they went after idols, they, it's always said that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So, so evil is linked to idolatry 
to making idols and serving idols. In Judges 3 in verse 7, it says the following. It says, so the children of Israel did what? Come on, guys. Help me preach this morning. The children of Israel did what? In the sight of the Lord. They for the Lord their God. And what did they do? They served the Baals and Asherahs. These are idols. And therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So evil is what? Idolatry. It's going after the gods, small g, of culture. In the days of Israel, there were in particular three gods, small g, that Israel, that plagued Israel continually, that Israel kept going after. And what I want to do is I want to talk about those three uh, gods that they used to serve. And then I want to draw a parallel to the culture we're living in. Why? Well, because when you look around at the world today, what you notice is that these gods have made a comeback. They have literally, in the last 70 years, made a comeback into our society. And once again, we are seeing Christians, even children of God, going after these idols and serving them. It's very much alive today. So who were these, these three idols? There were three in particular. There was Baal, Asherah, and Molech. Those were the three um, gods that, that Israel went after. Baal was the Canaanite, God, uh, is the Canaanite word for master or lord. And he was known as lord of heaven and god of fertility and storms and rains. He was the most powerful of the gods, sun god, fertility god, often represented by a bronze bull, not the one on Spore's t-shirt, turning... His role was to turn, <laughs> we were just having a joke about that this morning. <laughs> known for his, he was known for turning Israel away from God, causing Israel to forget about God, and often linked to prosperity. So in the name of prosperity, or in our society, materialism, there's a turning away, a forgetting of God and serving him, Baal, all right? So he's known as turning the heart of a nation away from God. Then soon after, we find Asherah coming in. And Asherah is also known as Baal's sister, or Ashtoreth, or Anat, or Ishtar. There's many different names. In Greece, she was known as the Aphrodite. In the Roman uh, world, she was known as Venus. Um, and she was just this picture, this goddess of love, sex, and war. That was her like what she embodied. And there were half-naked statues of her everywhere. She was a goddess of immorality, actually a prostitute. And she was also the goddess of intoxicating substances. So what you find is that there was not only sexual immorality in the worship of Ashtoreth, but also you'd find intoxicating substances, alcohol and whatever drugs were available being used as well in the process. And in that, there would be this mix of wickedness in terms of spells, witchcraft, occultic practices happening at the same time. Moloch, on the other hand, was a god that had... Um, a head of a bull and a, and a torso of a man and he was fashioned in such a way with his arms out and he was known as the destroyer, Molech. And people used to worship him in child sacrifice. What they did was they would bring their babies and offer their newborn babies to the god of Molech 
and they would put these babies, there would be this big fire, they'd put it on his hands, and from the hands, the baby would roll down into this fiery pit in his belly, and the idea is that they were giving their children in the hope that the God would bless their crops, their cattle, and their prosperity. And is that not exactly what we're seeing with abortion as well, is giving the fruit of our, our babies, killing our offspring, because why? Because it's just inconvenient to have a child. Or just because it's expensive to have children. How am I supposed to look after children? And, and so, so this Moloch has made a comeback in our society. And the way they, they work almost together, Baal comes and turns the hearts away from causes people to forget about God and go after the things of the world. Then Ashtoreth steps in and gets everybody, it gets everybody in immorality, sexual immorality, and the occult, and Moloch comes thereafter with child sacrifice. And we must know when we read the scriptures that when Israel served these gods, God was furious that they would offer their babies to Molech, that they, would, that they would serve with passion these idols. Now, as Christians, we must know that, um, that, that there's nothing really behind statues, right? There's nothing in and of a statue itself. But in Corinthians, it talks about the fact that Pagan people offer, they, they, worship, they worship and sacrifice to idols, but they're not just idols. There's typically demon entities behind these idols. There are demon powers behind these idols that are controlling and, and manipulating people to serve them. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about this. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. Um, these spiritual hosts of wickedness. He talks about spiritual beings, spiritual powers at work behind the actual battle that's taking place. And what we notice is that as the gospel advanced throughout the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was a pagan empire. The idolatry was rife. The worship of these gods was practiced all around. And the gospel advanced into the Roman Empire, it displaced those gods. It literally drove those, the idol worship out of society. And the struggle was not against flesh and blood, but it was against demonic principalities. And it's possible, what we see from scripture is that these principalities don't only possess a person, but they can literally possess a culture, or a generation, or a city. I mean, if you go read the, we don't have time to do it this morning, but if you go read the account of the gospel arriving in Ephesus, there is this worship of Diana, Artemis. There's this incredible, massive temple um, to Diana. And what was happening there was basically Ashtoreth worship. It was, it was sexual immorality. There were priests and priestesses there, um, the men dressing as women there, the, and the way you worship was through sexual immorality, and it, it was all happening in Ephesus. So Ephesus was like the epicenter for this, this worship of Diana, and the gospel arrives and it starts you know, challenging this worship, this false worship, and people start turning to Yahweh, to Jesus, and giving their lives to Him, and they start burning their idols, and the idol makers in the city realize that their business is de 
decreasing, and they grab the Christians and throw them in the amphitheater, and a whole crowd, like the city just rushes. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. The whole city rushes to this amphitheater, and for over two hours, they shout, great is Diana, great is Diana, great. It's like this madness. It's like this possession of a culture that's infuriated by the gospel. But we know the gospel triumphed. We know that it literally transformed that society. Why? Because there's nothing greater than the gospel. There's no God that can stand up to the name of Jesus. There's no demonic force or power or entity that can even come close to the power that's in Jesus. With just a word, Jesus casts out a man who has a thousand demons. Just a word, and they're all gone, just like that. There's nothing like the power of Jesus. We must know that when we talk about this topic, we've got Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and there's no Lord like Jesus. Baal does not come close to Jesus. You go read your Old Testament, what you'll see is, is that even Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and, and it says, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And he challenges Israel, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is Lord, then serve him. But if Baal or Asherah is Lord, then serve that. He comes with this message that's defining, and God answers by fire and proves his power. And over 800 prophets, false prophets are put to death that day in Israel. But it's just amazing. But then you read a little bit further on, and Israel goes back to these gods. And we must know this, church, that in many ways we're similar. In many ways, we're similar. Those idols, those demon entities are still at large. They're still at large. They're still at work in society to turn our hearts away from serving the living God to serving idols. What is an idol? Anything that you put your attention and affection on other than God. Let me ask you this morning, what has your attention? What has your affection, your delight? Where is your delight this morning? That's a good indication of where your idols are. And the challenge in Scripture, just like it was to Israel, is choose this day whom you will serve. Who will you serve? Where will your passions go? Where will your gifts go? Where will your talents go? What will you give your time to, your energy to? Will it be to serving the living God? Or will you give it to serving idols, mammon, materialism, some idea of a life of comfort or pleasure that has crept into your heart that is now warring against your affection for Jesus? And more and more you're waking up and finding yourself serving this other thing rather than serving the living God. I want you to know that the challenge to Israel is still the challenge to us today. Jonathan Kahn, in his book, The Return of the Gods, talks about how these three gods have made a comeback in the world we, in, just in the last 50 to 70 years. When Jesus said, he told this story to his disciples about when you cast a demon out of a person, it goes away to dry places, and then it, likes, it says, no, I want to go back to my house, and it finds seven demons more worse than him and goes back and finds his house swept and clean and empty. And then Jesus said, and the condition of the person becomes worse 
than before. What is the lesson in there? It's just like if you have been delivered, people, if you've been set free by Jesus, how many of you have been set free? Make sure your house is full of Jesus. Make sure your house is not clean, swept, and empty. Like, oh, yeah, I got set free. Now I can just go live and still do what I want. No, make sure Jesus is in there. In your house, there's the Word of God. In your house, there is the law of God. In your house is full of Jesus. Your house is full of God. Praise for God, worship of God, obedience to God. Make sure your house is not empty. Because otherwise, if it's found empty, there are seven words knocking at the door. And Jesus wasn't just talking about a particular person. He was also talking about social be with this generation because it can be with a generation too. It can be with a society at large. What do I mean by that? Well, in Ephesus, the war was won by the gospel. Great churches were there. Missionary churches were there. Church planting churches came from, from Ephesus. The gospel transformed that society. It became a Christian society. But if that society many years later decides, why do we need God in our schools? Why do we need prayer in schools? Why do we need prayer in the home? Why do we need, and starts to forget God and empty the house, guess who's knocking on the door? And the city that was steeped in paganism can be worse in the previous condition if God is kicked out. Guys, we are seeing that happening in the Western world right now. Europe and America have been beacons of hope for centuries. The gospel has gone out of those nations to other nations. Even here in Africa, we have the gospel because people got on ships and packed their clothes in coffins, never expecting to ever go home to their families or anything and come to foreign lands in Africa and Asia and everywhere and preach this gospel, laying down their lives. Where they, they came from Europe, but if you go to Europe today and America today, what you'll find is they've swept the house clean. The, the, the foundation of the Bible in government, the foundation of the Bible in schools, in the family, in society, it's, it's gone. Those cathedrals are empty. Those cathedrals that were sending missionaries around the world are empty to this day. In America, what you notice is that it was a nation that was founded on biblical principles. The Puritans and so forth came over there with the intention of building a nation. I mean, even in the, in the, um, in the Senate, there's, there's the Ten Commandments are written on the roof of the Senate. I mean, literally, it was written into the fabric. There were Christian fathers who brought that nation. Then, in the 60s and 50s, they kicked God and prayer out of schools, and look what happened. Look what happened. Suddenly, you see these gods making a comeback, and it's seven times worse. Let me give you an idea, just, like, just to like, just awaken you as to what's happening in the world right now. Um, this is a picture of a bronze bull, which is symbolism of Baal worship. Um, Baal was often symbolized as that, as prosperity, a bull of prosperity, and they would worship. You remember the, the Israelites w made a golden calf and worshiped it. Um, and golden calves and bronze bulls, these, these are literally, this is Baal worship, prosperity and, and materialism. And that, there is now in New York City on Wall Street a big, massive bronze bull right there. 
In Birmingham at the Commonwealth Games, there's this massive mechanical bull that made its entrance into the opening ceremony at, at Birmingham. And you've got to ask yourself the question, oh, what a, it's just nothing, it's just a bull, come on, come on, you know? Listen, let's not be foolish. There are very real demon entities who lost a battle, and they're making a comeback. And they're literally taking the symbols of the past and prolificating them in society in front of our very eyes to say, hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Let me show you another one. There's, in, in Syria, there was the, a temple built to Baal worship, all right, in Syria. And that temple was destroyed by ISIS. ISIS, you know, was just bombing everything, all right, and destroying everything. So they destroyed this um, archaeological site. And people used to travel. It was famous, all right? It was the Arch of Palmyra, all right? It's a city. Palmyra means uh, palms, all right? Named by the Romans. The city was this, this, people would travel there from all over the world to look at these, this Baal temple. And all that was surviving was this arch, which was actually the entrance to the temple. And so what a group of concerned archaeologists and historians have done is because it got destroyed, is they put a project together where they, from every picture that's been taken of the arch, have reconstructed the arch to its original specifications exactly. And then what they've did is they took that arch and, and, and launched it in London, in Trafalgar Square, and guess what day they launched that arch there? You know, just they did it because it's like history. You know, it's just history. Look, look at this arch, right? Out of all the artifacts, they choose Baal, the temple of Baal, the arch of the temple of Baal. And they put it up in Trafalgar Square. What day did they put it up in Trafalgar Square? On the very day that, uh, the day of Beltan. What is Beltan? The fires of Baal. So Baal worship has survived. All right, it's called the day of Beltan. And on the day of Baal worship, they put this arch in Trafalgar Square in London. Then a month and a half later, they took it to New York Square. Then they took it to Washington, D.C. Then they took it to Dubai for the opening of the World Governance Summit, where global leaders gathered in Dubai to talk about global issues. At the opening ceremony, they have the arch of Baal at that open ceremony. And the arch was like a portal. It represented a portal, like you enter through the arch into Baal's domain. That was the idea behind it. You came through this arch into the temple. And then after they took it to Dubai for the World Governance Summit, they took it to Florence in Italy for the opening of the G7 conference. Again, global leaders gathering. What, is that anything? It's just history, it's just culture being survived. No, it's a sign of the times. Baal worship has made a comeback. And if anything, I just look at that and go, Satan is parading around the world what is his. And we've been talking about the rise of globalism and global powers and how that needs to take place in the end times. Isn't it interesting that the arch is there at the global summits, at the G7 summits? It's not a coincidence, people. I think we need to be awake. What about Asherah? Like, I don't want to put pictures up here because <laughs> it's church. <laughs> and we shouldn't be looking at stuff like this anyway. But let me just tell you about Asherah. 
or Ashtoro, Ishtar. She was the goddess of sexual immorality. Her son was Eros, the god of everything erotic. And his responsibility was for eroticizing culture. In Greek, she's a prostitute, and the name for her is porneia, where we get the word pornography from. Everywhere in Israel, images of Ashtara basically were these images of a half-naked woman that were put up everywhere, under trees, on people's houses, on everywhere. Let me ask you, has Ashtara made a comeback? How many half-naked woman pictures are there in the world right now? Prolificated. I mean, just if we want to sell cars or butter, it's like going to be a half-naked woman <laughs> that's... So this is what, you see, this is what... We must understand that woman is the glory of man. All right, man, we made, man, we made from the dirt, yeah? Yeah? Amen. Oh, from the dirt. Women are made from man. Taken from, the rib was taken from man. Well, so that means women are twice refined. Okay? So the, the dirt was dealt with with Adam, but women are beautiful. And God has made women beautiful. So that they, they woman, woman, you are the glory of mankind. You are the splendor. I mean, we don't really enjoy like men modeling, but when a woman <laughs> models, we all like, wow. It, why? Why? What is that? It's God. God has made you beautiful. You are the glory of mankind. And what the enemy does is through Ashtoreth, this worship, this entity, is it steals that glory and applies it in the marketplace to manipulate society and men to, to give their souls to immorality and materialism and licentiousness. Taking what is God and perverting it, what, it was a God thing that we would always admire. Men, we're supposed to admire our wives. And they are, they're beautiful. And, and we don't know whether we worship them, but we are to look after our wives and celebrate the glory of God in them. And this spirit seeks to take what God has given to woman and pervert it. And so what we see is a prolification in the last 70 years, a prolification of half-naked woman. This, this glory of God being um, tarnished. I told you that at, at the temple for Asherah worship, there was priests and priestesses who were prostitutes and they were bisexual. What have we noticed in the last few years? Bisexual, homosexuality, lesbianism on the, on the increase. It was interesting, one of the ancient inscriptions about this goddess was this, I am a woman, I am a man. That's one of the ancient tabloid inscriptions of her. I am a woman, I am. So she actually came and blurred the lines between what woman is and what man is. Are we not seeing that? There was even an ancient hymn that said this, you have the power to turn a man to a woman and a woman into a man. One of her signs, the rainbow. Surprise, surprise. There was one month in the year where Asherah came and possessed society. One month that was dedicated to her and worship where she would literally come 
to humanity, and, and it was like she would possess the culture for an entire month. Try and guess what month in the ancient world that was in today's, the month of June. You guessed it, Pride Month. It's literally the same thing coming back and taking the same place in society in every way. If you look at all the, the um, constitutional court decisions that did away with the, the historical Judeo-Christian definition of marriage, there were three court cases that basically destroyed the Judeo-Christian val value of marriage and definition of marriage, and all three happened in America in the month of June. Same sex in 2003, the Defense of Marriage Act in 2013, June the 26th, altered marriage in, Ju in June 2015 on the 26th. And on that very day, Obama lit the White House up in the colors of a rainbow. That very day is the 10th day of Tammuz in the, build in the Babylonian calendar. It's the day ordained for casting a spell to cause a man to love a man. Everything that we see in the ancient world literally unfolding right in front of our own eyes, but seven times worse. The music industry, I don't even have to go there, hey, it's just saturated with this. We are seeing a combination of Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech coming through in, in, a, in the music industry, in the, even in the... Um, in the movie and entertainment industry. I mean, just to give you an idea, the Sam Smith and Kim Petras, I don't know if you guys know these people. Hopefully you don't. Um, I feel like somebody else is preaching in the room. <laughs> um, Sam Smith and Kim Petras. Kim Petras, they just recently won a Grammy for the best pop duo. And they performed at the Grammys. Kim Petras, for those of you who don't know, is actually a, a transsexual, a boy who made the crossover to being a, wo uh, a woman uh, around the age of 15, 16, around there, and even had surgery for it and everything. And their performance at the Grammys was the, for the song called Unholy. And it was nothing short of incredible sexual immorality. There were transgender dancers on the stage. There were even porn, famous porn actors on the stage. Um, even in the whole ceremony, there was this witchcraft, devil worship happening. And the crazy thing about the whole act was that it received a standing ovation at the Grammys. I'm talking about devil worship, witchcraft, spells being cast, all that sort of stuff in the song. And this, people are just cheering and going, wow, wow, because she's the, the first transgender to win a Grammy. And it's interesting because, I mean, even that song, Unholy, has passed over one billion streams on Spotify. One billion streams on Spotify. And top of the charts in multiple nations for weeks on end, a song called Unholy. What will abound in the last days? Lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Evil. What is that? Idolatry, false worship, breaking of God's commands. Saints, are we not seeing this? And it's interesting because you look at the history of the Grammys, what you'll find just 10 years ago, Nicki Minaj performs at the Grammys, and in this 
Her act, she's like, she, there's this fake exorcism taking place where there's this priest and there's like, she, this demon being cast out of her and, the de and she wanted to show that the demon couldn't be cast out of her. Like that was the whole performance and she like levitates on the stage and the, people 10 years ago were freaked out about it. And she received a whole lot of criticism about it. Now, 10 years later, we're celebrating it. Why? Well, what happened in between? Well, in between 2014, you had Katy Perry performing Dark Horse at the Grammys. And what she did was she performed a witch's Sabbath, where there were demons and Satan all glorifying her. What? Another half-naked woman image. In 2015, Madonna came at the Grammys with devil horns on, demons worshiping her, and she was mocking Christian imagery. She even had a Christian like choir singing at that moment. And she did this mock, you know where Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like a bolt of lightning out of heaven? She did this mock falling out of heaven at the Grammys. And her mantra is this, if people keep seeing it and seeing it and seeing it, eventually it's not gonna be such a strange thing. Guys, in 10 years, we went from being, yo, that's hectic, to standing ovations for devil worship in our Grammys. Let me wrap this message up. <laughs> Are you still okay? <laughs> Let me just say something about Molech for a moment. In South Africa, we have one of the highest abortion rates in the world. 37% of unintended pregnancies will end in abortion. And 57% of them will be illegal backstreet abortions. Guys, we must understand how evil, wicked society has become around us and how it's multiplying. Because if you look at the abortion statistics, it's actually on a curve like this. It's just growing and growing and growing. Why? Well, because we keep promoting immorality and licentious living and not marriage and you can have sex outside of marriage. We're just promoting this one thing and we're looking at the destruction of the next generation through it. Now, just to say, like, if you have aborted a baby, I want you to know Jesus came for you. There's grace for you. There's healing for you. There's no sin that has been committed that Jesus can't touch us and restore us from that we're living in a time of grace, the question is, will you take it or not? Will you take what he's offering? I want us just to go back to the scripture and I'm gonna wrap with this. Matthew 24, verse 11. And because, can we read it? And the love of many will grow cold. What is the link between lawlessness abounding and the love of many growing cold. Well, lawlessness is idolatry at the end of the day. It's spending our attention and affection on anything other than God. That's what it is. And so when we serve idols, we must know that they have a progressive nature in our lives. Is they start small, but they've got an intention of growing. <laughs> And what happens is the they, their intention is to steal affection and attention away from God. So why is there um, this love of many growing cold? 
Well, it's because the love is going somewhere else. Just after this statement, Jesus talks about the five, five foolish and five wise virgins. And what's the difference between the two? Is that the, the wise virgins had oil. They had cultivated a love for Jesus. They had cultivated an affection for Jesus, and they were, and they were abounding with this. The others were slowly losing their affection and love for Jesus. So we must understand that, like, like Madonna said, if we, just con- people keep, if we just keep seeing stuff and listening to stuff and following the world, eventually we will conform to the pattern of this world. And I must, you must know this morning, as your pastor, I'm saying, you can be in danger. You can be in danger that if Jesus comes back, that he says, I don't know you anymore. That, that your position has so transformed to the position of the world and the serving of the world's idols that he actually doesn't know you anymore. And this is the warning for us in Scripture. Close with the Scripture. Revelation 18, verse 2 to 5. Worship team, you're welcome to come up. Revelation 18, 25. This is now at the end, the end picture that we're looking at, the end of, of what happens. And he says the, it says the following. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. That's talking about global immorality. Are we not seeing that? The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury materialism, the merchants of the world have grown rich. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come away from her, my people. Do not partake in her sins or you will be punished with her for her sins are piled as high as heaven and God remembers her evil deeds. Can we stand to our feet? Saints, Friends, family, I want you to hear the cry of Revelation 18 this morning. The cry of Revelation is this, come out of her. Touch not any unclean thing. Purify yourself. Tear down those altars. Tear down those high places, those places that are stealing your affection and your passion for Jesus those places that are stealing your service to Him, they might seem harmless. They might seem like, oh, it's just like everybody's doing it and it's okay and I can serve Jesus and I can do this. But I want you to know that thing has an an intention to take more and more from you. It has an intention to turn your heart away from God, to cause you to forget God. We need to be awake in these times. We need to be aware. We need to guard our hearts. And where there is idolatry in our hearts, where there is false worship in our hearts, where we are enjoying evil and sin, I want to challenge you today and say, come out of that and worship the living God. Give your life to Him. Give your heart to Him. Give your soul to Him. Give your time, your energy, your affection to Him. There's only one thing that's going to last, and that's His kingdom. His kingdom is the eternal kingdom. Everything else that we could serve in this world will fall away. It will come to nothing. His kingdom lasts. So my challenge to you this morning, come out. 
wherever you are, wherever you, whatever you're hiding in your life, whatever sin has gripped you, I want you to know that you're in a safe family this morning. You're in a safe environment this morning. As a church family, this is what we do. We come together. We confess our sins to one another. We help each other. We, we, we're, we're going wrong. We, we guard and keep each other accountable. And the end goal is that none would be lost, that we all come and finish strong and we all endure to the end when Jesus comes back and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Church, the days of serving Jesus half-heartedly are over. Times have changed. Times have changed. We cannot serve Jesus half-heartedly any longer. Those days need to be over, and I want you to get a resolve in your life and say, you know what? I'm done with half-heartedness. I'm done with lukewarmness. I'm done with having a little bit of this and a little bit of Jesus on the side. The line is being drawn in the sand, in the time. The devil is marking whose his are, and God is marking whose, whose is his. Let us be counted amongst the righteous. Let us be counted amongst the pure and the holy. We're going to sing a song right now, and the words to the song are, If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow down in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. Listen, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, everything that God has created, shout His worth. They point to Him. The stars will testify against humanity one day and say, we were here for you to look up and realize that there is a creator, that he is splendid, that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful. The stars will testify one day. Creation will testify one day and say, I was there in front of your eyes every single day. The oceans will testify and say, we were here for you to see that there is a God, that is a living God, that there is a creator of all. If the stars were made to worship Him, so will I. Listen, you were made to worship Him. You are part of this creation. You are His creation. You were born for His glory, not born for a life of degrading passions, vile passions that will pervert your mind and your heart. A lifestyle that will wreck you and the generations after you. A lifestyle of brokenness and sin and harm whose end is destruction. You were not born for that. There's a very real enemy who wants that for you. But there's a very real God who went to the cross and died for you so that your sin could be forgiven and that you could have eternal life and worship for all eternity with all of creation. It says in the song, for everything exists to lift you high. So will I. So will I. Church, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. Whom will you serve? Who will get your talents? Who will get your time? Who will get your treasures? Who will get it? Will the living God get it? If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. Are you ready to go to nations? If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we will sing again a hundred billion times that He is great. I want to ask you today, saints, if there is any wavering in you, if there is any shaky ground in you, make a decision that as we worship and as we sing this song, that everything that's faulty in you is coming right that you're gonna gather up 
all those, those places in your life and bring them into the worship of Yahweh, of the living God. Can you say amen to that? Thank you, worship team. <clears throat>